All right, praise the Lord. So great to have everyone here. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. I love going through the word of God with all of you. But Mark 10, 17 through 22. And for joining us here in person, you'll see it right behind me. For joining us online, it'll be on your screen at home through the magic of internet. Mark 10, 17 through 22. This is God's word. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened, deeply discouraged by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory and truly Father, this is your time, this is your church, this is your word. Lord, everything is about you. And so Lord God, please just push any thoughts that are not of you out of our minds, out of our hearts, and help us to just be radically centered and focused on you, Lord. We don't have a lot of opportunities like this every week when we can gather, but this we have right now. So Lord God, thank you. Speak through your word. Bring conviction, bring life, bring faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, well, since the very beginning of the year, we've been looking at what a disciple looks like according to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and we're a little past halfway. You're like, no. <laughs> yes, we actually have a lot more to go. But we've looked at a lot of different topics so far. So what have we seen so far? Well, we saw that a disciple is what? A disciple is a student, a follower of Jesus' teachings and way of life. And being Jesus' disciple is the greatest single thing you can do with your life. Nothing even comes close. But no one can just wake up one morning and decide to be his disciple. Because a person can only become Jesus' disciple, how? By repenting and believing in the gospel. And this is not the popular gospel that we often hear today, which is just a ticket to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'll see you when I get to heaven. Until then, I'm just going to go live my life. Right? That's the gospel we hear a lot these days. But no, but the gospel that we must hear and repent and believe is the gospel of God's kingdom. And this is where a person, through repentance and faith in Christ, enters into an entire new reality and way of life. And unfortunately, some of you don't even know what that is yet. But it is a whole new reality and way of life where God's will is done. It's a completely different way to live. And believe in that gospel is what launches a person into following Christ. You must hear and believe in that gospel. We also saw the disciples' portrait. So what kind of people end up following Christ? Well, he calls everyone, but especially the nobodies of the world. The unremarkable, the undeserving, the people who aren't, the people who can't. These are the people Jesus calls. And so if you've been sitting here every Sunday, you're kind of getting this like doubt in your heart, like I don't know if I could do any of this, I'm going to check out for this entire series, then you should be deeply comforted by this. Because if you are just average and normal, maybe you're even less than that, then guess what? Jesus is calling you. You can be his disciple. These are especially the ones Jesus calls. 
We also saw the disciples' vital connection. What is the primary relationship for a disciple? It is to be with Jesus. Jesus' method of discipleship was rooted in his presence. I said this more than once, but Jesus' method was not to call people to a set of teachings, but to what? To himself. So we learn from him by being with him. I'm talking about spending lots and lots of time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in worship, in community with other believers. To be with Jesus is to be changed by Jesus. And again, unfortunately, some of you don't know at all what that is. We also saw the disciples' consecration. What sets disciples apart from everyone else? What makes disciples of Jesus unique? It is to daily deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Practically, this means waking up every day and saying in our hearts, Lord, today not my will but yours be done. But Lord, help me because I can't. And then the very next day you wake up again and literally the first thing on your mind is, Lord, today not my will but yours be done. But God, help me because I can't do it. So this is taking up your cross daily, denying yourself daily. It is daily dying to yourself, dying to your will, your goals, your desires, and daily living for God, his will, his goals, his desires. Is that clear enough? That's the heart of discipleship. And utterly depending on God and his grace and strength to do it, because you can't. This is the heart of discipleship. This is what consecrates us away from the world and unto God. This is when you will find your life, the abundant life, the eternal life. Again, some of you don't know what this is, but hopefully this year you will. This is the heart of true discipleship. What else did we see? We saw the disciples imparted gifts. Imparted gifts. And why is this important? Because being Jesus' disciple is confusing and hard at times. So we talked about that for the last two weeks. But take up your cross, die to yourself daily, follow him. That's hard. So we struggle because we have a naturalistic mindset. Sometimes we don't understand what he's saying. Why are you doing this in my life, God? I just want to be blessed, right? That's why I believe in you. Just bless me, bless me. When I'm in trouble, help me, help me. Isn't that the Christian life? And Jesus is like, nope. That's part of it. But more to the point, I'm calling you to grow in holiness and in faith and to become like me. And so that's hard. That's confusing. And so knowing that, Jesus, the good shepherd, will take us up a high mountain and there he'll impart unimaginable gifts to us. Unimaginable. He will impart to us enduring faith, which is more precious than gold. He will literally bring us into his Shekinah glory, which is his very own manifest presence. He will impart to us the eternal gospel that not only saves us, but shapes us and changes us. And finally, he will impart to us divine authority, which is how things get done in the kingdom of God. These are all yours. These are all free gifts of his grace. He's offering them to you. All you have to do is just believe in him and follow him, and they're yours. And again, many of you don't know what these things are. But these are all available. And so this is what we've looked at so far. This is what being Jesus' disciple looks like. There's nothing like it in the world. And being Jesus' disciple will have the greatest impact on your life, and it will make the greatest impact through your life. I know these are big statements, but I can't even overstate them. (laughs) This is probably not even quite enough. And so being Jesus' disciple is the greatest thing you could do with your life, and you don't have to take my word on it. But just look, at, just look at what it did to all these disciples who followed him. 
Look at the obscure, petty, self-centered fishermen that he called. Why do we still talk about Peter, James, and John and all the other disciples to this day? Why do we do that? Even to this day, why do people name their children names like Peter, James, and John? I mean, they were obscure nobodies at one point. Why do people name their dogs Nero, who at one point was the greatest leader of the greatest empire on the earth? One of my professors in seminary pointed that out. He said, isn't it funny how we name our children these people who are brutalized and all killed for their faith, and we name our pets Nero? Well, why is that? Well, it's because of the impact of being Jesus' disciple. Jesus' disciples changed the world and gave all the glory to God. How? By simply following him. And so this is the great impact you can have. So follow him. This is not a call to change what you're doing. It could be. God might radically shift your life this year. But more likely, it's a call to follow him, truly follow him as you do what you're doing. So you don't have to leave school. You don't have to leave your job. You keep doing what you're doing. But in the midst of that, you have changed your perspective. Everything has changed. I will follow Christ. For the first time, perhaps, in my life, I'm going to be a real believer. I will be a true Christian this year. There's nothing greater you can do with your life. So now, it's one thing to know this, but it's entirely a different thing to do this, right? To actually begin to do this. And so today, we're going to look at the disciples' obedience. The disciples' obedience. Now, up until this point, we've looked at the great realities of being Jesus' disciple. But starting today and in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at the practicals of being a disciple. The practicals. Although today's message might not sound as practical, but it's going to be more practical. And nothing is more practical in being a disciple than obedience. Obedience. Simply doing what Jesus says. This is not a doing to earn anything. It's not a doing to prove anything. It's simply doing what Jesus says because that's what disciples do. It is what genuine faith and love for Christ does. Anyone who truly knows Jesus Christ and decides to follow him will obey and increasingly obey him more and more. And in our passage today, the rich young ruler faced this truth. He was directly confronted head on with this truth. If you want to be my follower and my disciple, then you must obey. So he began to realize that very quickly. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, you must obey what he says. But it was not the obedience that the young man thought. It was a different kind of obedience. And so through this single interaction, Jesus drew out of this young man the issue of obedience he drew out the barriers of obedience and finally the disciples' true obedience and what that looks like. And so I want to look at this story today, but we're talking about obedience. So the issue of obedience. If you look at Mark 10, 17 through 19, it says, as Jesus was setting out on his journey. Other translations, instead of the word journey, say road or way. I mean, this was more than just any road. This was the road to Jerusalem. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem where he would fulfill the greatest work the world would ever see. He was on the way to die for the sins of the world. So he's on this way. He's on this road to Jerusalem. And on the way, a man came up to Jesus. And he was very excited, very eager. And we know from Matthew's gospel, this man was a young man. Many of you guys are young. He was probably, in, you know, in your class. You know, he was probably your year in college. But this man was a young man. From Luke's gospel, we learned that this man was also a ruler. He was some sort of a leader in the community. 
In all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention he was rich. So this is where we get the name, the rich young ruler. But Mark just called him a man. So this man, this rich young ruler, ran up to Jesus, and it says, picking up in verse 17, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. That's actually not in the Ten Commandments. Jesus changed it a little bit. Maybe he said that because this man had a potential to defraud people. Defraud meaning cheating people out of money. Jesus like, don't do that. Don't cheat people out of money. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. So here's this man, very eager, very excited, this rich, young ruler, ran up to Jesus and asked him the most important question anyone could ever ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If most people can even just get to that point, they're already halfway there. But this young ruler was already there. And so here's a very encouraging question for Jesus to be asked. The question was sincere. It was earnest. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you guys asked that when you were younger? Maybe growing up as a kid, maybe in college. How many of you guys genuinely wonder in your heart, if there is a heaven, how do I go there? Well, this man was wondering. He was genuinely wanting to know, how do I go to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? So what a huge question. But this was more than a question on how to go to heaven. Because when you look at what's going on here, he had this tremendous respect for Jesus. He came and knelt before him. It's actually the posture of somebody who wants to learn from a rabbi. He was asking Jesus the biggest question. And all of this pointed to this man wanting to be Jesus' disciple. He didn't just want an answer to a question. This man actually wanted to be Jesus' disciple. So here was a sincere, earnest young man who wanted to be Jesus' disciple. And so what an opportunity Jesus had to gain another disciple, a rich one at that, an influential one, right? So what an opportunity. And Jesus could have answered the young man very simply by telling him exactly what he's told many other people. You want eternal life? Here's the answer. Repent and believe the gospel and follow me. Right? Jesus has already said that many times in the Gospel of Mark. He could have easily said that, but he didn't say that. And Jesus often did this. He rarely answered people's questions the way people expected him to. Jesus instead would answer their questions with another question. Don't you like that when people do that? <laughs> it's like, I asked you a question, why are you asking me? It's like, he's always doing that, answering people's questions with another question. And then when he finally got around to answering the question, it wouldn't be the answer they thought. And so why is Jesus doing this? Well, it wasn't to frustrate people, but he wanted to always address something profound in their hearts because Jesus knew people's hearts. Immediately when they came up to him, he just knew right away, this is in your heart. And so he would ask questions. He would answer questions in ways that weren't expected to draw out their hearts. And here's what Jesus saw inside this young man's heart. Jesus saw inside this man's heart a kind of obedience to God that drew him further away from God, not closer to God. It was drawing him further away from God. It was a kind of obedience that was done to justify himself. But what about the idol of money? Because isn't this all about money, this passage? Wasn't that in his heart? Yes, that was in his heart. That idol was there, and we see that later. Jesus clearly drew that out and then fired a missile at it. 
And by the way, I know that a lot of you who go to CG, you guys studied this passage this past week. I didn't plan to preach on it the same week CG studied it. It just kind of happened that way. But if your uh, CG studied this passage and focused on the idolatry of money, I think that's good. Okay, that's a totally legitimate way to approach this passage. And so if you had a good discussion on that, I'm not putting that down. I'm not saying you were wrong. Because the Gospels did say this man was rich. Jesus told him to sell all he had to follow him. Even after this story, the man left, and then Jesus told his disciples, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter heaven. So yes, there is a lot of focus there on money. The idolatry of money is a legitimate way to study this passage. But what I want to talk about today is, but there's more going on than just the idolatry of money, right? There's more going on. Because this entire conversation was not really about money. Yes, that was his particular idol. So it came out. But this conversation that Jesus and this young man had wasn't really about money. But what was it about? It was about his obedience. His obedience. So when he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus basically answered that question by saying, obey the Ten Commandments. Obey the Ten Commandments and you will have eternal life. And then the man said, what? I kept all of them since I was a kid. So here was this young man who had outwardly obeyed God's law his entire life, and Jesus didn't argue with him. And yet, when the moment came for him to obey Jesus' word, at the very end of that, that interaction, Jesus gave the final word to him, and he had this great opportunity to now truly obey, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. So do you see that? Yes, money was involved. Yes, he had this huge idol of money. But even more so, this whole interaction was talking about his obedience. And in the end, he just couldn't do it. So this man who had obeyed God's law his entire life, when it counted most, couldn't obey Jesus' word. He just couldn't do it. And because of that, he never became Jesus' disciple. He couldn't become his disciple. So brothers and sisters, please listen. But if you want to become Jesus' disciple, being earnest, being sincere, even passionate is a good thing. You might even have great respect for Jesus. You might even kneel before him, you know, worship him, raise your hands at church. Maybe outwardly, you might even conform to Jesus' teachings, Christian values, but the real issue is, but can you obey Jesus' word? Okay, that's the real issue. If you're going to be a disciple this year and from this year onward, can you obey Jesus' word? And I'm not talking about, you know, just kind of what you hear, what Christians do. But I'm talking about what he is directly speaking to you from his word. You know what, I should have, my, I should have brought my Bible up here. <laughs> the first Sunday I forget. But I'm talking about his word to your heart. Can you obey Jesus' word? Okay, that's the issue. Because disciples of Jesus can be religious or not religious. They can be respectable or not respectable. They can have money or not have money. There are all different kinds of disciples. But here's what all disciples have in common. They all eventually in their lives come to obey Jesus' word from the heart when it counts. 
See, it's very simple. Christianity is not complicated. You want to be a follower of Jesus. You want to make an impact with your life. You want to do the single greatest thing with your life that you could possibly do. You must follow Jesus. And what does that look like? You begin to obey him from the heart. You actually do what he says. And for some of you, this is something new and foreign. It's completely foreign. And I don't mean you've never heard this before. But what I mean is when you look at your life, your walk with God, your faith is not on your radar. It's not even a struggle. But you come to hear sermon after sermon, Sunday after Sunday. You go to a Bible study. You study the Bible, CG after CG. You might even analyze and discuss the things you hear. You might even agree with what you hear. Yes, that's true. Those words are true. But in your heart, there's never any real conviction to do what the word says. And that's why this is foreign. This is new. Yes, I'm always learning things about the Bible. It's good. It's good to be at church. I like how Roy yells and tells me about the word. I like all that. But then you go home and there's never once a thought in your mind that I should actually do what I heard. It's a foreign concept. It's not a part of your walk with God. There is no real obedience to Jesus' word. And therefore, you will never be his disciple. And if you're never his disciple, then there is always a question mark over your life you may not even be saved. Because the whole point of him coming to Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? People who do not obey Jesus from the heart may never be saved. You know, Robbie Gallaty, he wrote a book on discipleship and he shared a parable that Soren Kierkegaard, you know, the philosopher, I believe he was Dutch, the Dutch philosopher, but he told this parable one time But it's basically a parable of a community of ducks, and they were waddling off to duck church to hear the duck preacher. And on that particular morning, the duck preacher spoke eloquently. He was fired up. He was excited. And this duck preacher began to talk about their God-given ability to fly, because they're birds after all. And he began to say, with these wings, said the duck preacher, there is nowhere you cannot go. There is no God-given task you cannot accomplish. With these wings, you can soar into the presence of God. And then the ducks began to go, amen, amen, right? Amen. I can't even imitate what a duck sounds like. Amen, amen. So you started hearing that all throughout the duck congregation. And then at the conclusion of the service, the ducks began to leave one by one. And they began to say, oh, what a wonderful message. How, how amazing church was today. And then they waddled all the way back home. <laughs> okay? They waddled all the way back home. And so that message declaring their ability to fly had done nothing to change the ducks. They went on just being ducks waddling around. And unfortunately, Kierkegaard was right. This is how the church is more often than not. Lots of truth, even stirring truth, We're always around truth. We're always hearing truth. We love the truth. We love the word of God. Roy, tell me more about the word. It's scripture, right? It's the Bible. I love the Bible. And yet never once as it crossed our minds, maybe I should do what it says. Maybe God expects me to actually apply this and obey. So there's no obedience. And without obedience, you cannot be Jesus' disciple. You will never be his disciple. And because of that, you may not be in heaven. So this is the issue. So then what hinders people from obeying? What hinders? Well, in Mark 10, we see the young man's barrier to obedience. So that was the issue of obedience. Here's the barrier to obedience. We see this man's barrier to true obedience in his reply to Jesus' answer in verse 19. 
after the man asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus basically said, if you want eternal life, keep the Ten Commandments blamelessly. And Jesus, he wasn't just saying words. Technically, this is true, right? This is true. If someone is able to keep God's law perfectly, blamelessly, you will inherit eternal life. You will be in heaven. But Jesus wasn't teaching work salvation because he knows that everyone falls short of the glory of God. That's why he came. He knows that nobody can keep God's law blamelessly. So what was Jesus doing here? Why was he saying this? Because he was setting the young man up to reveal his heart to him. This is why Jesus is always doing these things, right? Answering questions with questions and answering in ways that you don't expect. He's trying to reveal and draw out the heart. And here's the heart of the young man. The young man, hearing that, replied back in verse 20, Teacher, all these things I've done from my youth. <laughs> I've done them all since I was a kid. And when the uh, man said that, he wasn't lying. He wasn't being hypocritical or being arrogant. I know sometimes we read that and we go, oh, gosh, he's so hypocritical. Right? He couldn't have kept all these. But no, he meant it sincerely. He actually meant what he said. Because in Jewish rabbinic tradition, rabbis in ancient times taught people all the time that they can actually obey God's laws. That was taught to the Jewish people from an early age all the time. You can actually keep all the commandments. They taught that people can, can and should outwardly keep all of the Ten Commandments and even more than that. 600 plus laws of God, you can keep all of them. So things like don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, the rabbis would say, yeah, you can do all that. You can keep them blamelessly. And if a person's outward behavior align with those things, then yeah, you're blameless. This is why Paul, he said in Philippians 3.6, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless when I was a Pharisee. It's like, oh my gosh, Paul, you're so arrogant. You're, you're such a hypocrite. No, Paul was not being a hypocrite. He was saying, under the rabbinic tradition, I was blameless. Outwardly, I kept all the laws. My behavior was in line with all these things. So this was the rich young man. He clearly saw himself as blameless and probably even good. He, right when he came up to Jesus, he noticed, oh, Jesus, I, you're good. And why did he mention that? Well, it's probably thought, it's because he thought he was good. So this is why the first thing Jesus said to the man in verse 18 is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What a great way to evangelize somebody. Somebody comes up to you, hey, hey, you know, John or Jenny, how, how, how do you receive eternal life? How do you go to heaven? How do you accept Jesus? Why are you saying good to me? Right? Only God, it's such a weird way to start a conversation on evangelism. So why would Jesus say this? Well, some understood Jesus' words like this. Why do you call me good? Don't call me good. Only God is good. Okay, some people hear it like that. But that interpretation puts words into Jesus' mouth that he didn't say. Jesus never said, don't call me good. Because that's the way a lot of people hear it. Why do you call me good? Don't call me good. Only God is good. No, he didn't say that. You're putting in your own words. Jesus never said, don't call me good. But rather, Jesus was asking a penetrating question to get the man to think. Okay, stop. Stop right there. I want you to think. So here's how I would paraphrase Jesus' question. Why do you call me good? You know only God is good. Do you realize the implication of what you're saying? I want you to pause. You just, you just call me good. Why are you saying that? Don't you know only God is good? Think about what you're implying here. What are you really saying? 
So Jesus knew that this man saw people as good as long as they are outwardly keeping God's law. And this is why he's just throwing that phrase around. Oh, Jesus, you're good. Good teacher. He saw himself as good as well. He's probably walking around calling a lot of people good. And so Jesus knew that. This man knew, believed that as long as you keep the law of God outwardly, then you're good. You're blameless, including himself. You know, this past week, I literally heard someone say that, somebody I know. But this person was being invited to church, and this person that I know literally said, oh, I'm okay. I'm a good person. You know, I, I don't need to go to church. I'm a good person. I don't hurt anyone. I don't say things that are hurtful. I just work hard. You know, I mind my own business. I'm good. And so people actually believe this. And this is nothing unique, of course. You know, back in 2020, during COVID, there was a big poll taken, and they found something very surprising, very discouraging, but 70% of evangelical churchgoers in America said that they believe people are basically good. 70% of evangelical churchgoers in this country say that people are basically good. In contrast, the Bible says no one is good, no, not one, Romans 3.12. So apparently evangelical Christians in America aren't reading their Bibles. But American evangelicals, believe that the majority of people are good, and this rich young ruler believed the same thing. He saw himself as good, and Jesus immediately saw that in his heart. So he had this goodness that he believed he had. It was self-justified. It was this outward obedience to God's law. And all the while, he was unable to truly obey God's word from the heart. Why? Because he had this other God that he was obeying money. So it's amazing how Jesus unraveled all that in just a few verses, a few just sentences back and forth, and Jesus just unraveled all of that. And so what was the man's barrier to true obedience? It was another kind of obedience that is not obedience. That's the barrier. This man was not a pagan. He was not an atheist. He was not just, you know, on drugs and just living a wild life out there. He was an upstanding citizen. He was a devout religious Jew. He actually wanted to be Jesus' disciple. He believed that he is good. He actually obeyed outwardly all the commands. He was being sincere. Jesus didn't dispute when the man said, I've kept all of them since a kid. And so what was the barrier then? Why couldn't he obey Jesus at the very end? It's because of another kind of obedience. That is not obedience. It was an obedience that was done to justify the self. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and a theologian. Some of you guys have heard of him. But he was actually arrested and put into a Nazi concentration camp. And then eventually he was hanged. He was a very young man, uh, not even 40. And the reason is because he spoke out against Hitler, one of the few Christian pastors to do that during that era. Well, this pastor wrote a classic book on discipleship called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he talked about this rich young ruler. He actually has a whole chapter where he talks about this rich young ruler. The book's right here. And in that book, in this book, he laid out the kind of obedience that is not true obedience. You know what he calls it? Or called it? He called it the cheap grace of self-justification. He called it a general law, a divine principle, which only needs to be applied to particular cases. So it's Christians who just kind of have this general principle of, I got to just be kind of Christian and do Christian things and just kind of applying things in general ways in particular cases. He called it an apparent communion with Jesus based on disobedience. I thought that was a remarkable sentence. 
But so many believers have this apparent fellowship, communion with Jesus, but it's all based on disobedience. Why? Because their obedience is actually a form of disobedience. It's disobedience. So what is he talking about? Well, listen to what he says. I'm going to read a little bit of a longer passage here. But Bonhoeffer, he said, if Jesus challenged us with the command, cut it out, get out of it, we should take him to mean stay where you are, but cultivate that inward detachment. So he's saying these are the Christians who really disobey, although they're trying to obey. Oh, this is what Jesus really means. He means I'm just going to keep doing what I do, but I'm just going to have this inward detachment. I mean, that's what he really means, right? Again, if Jesus were to say to us, be not anxious, we would take him to mean, of course, it is not wrong for us to be anxious. After all, we must work and provide for ourselves and our dependents. If we did not, we should be shirking our responsibilities, right? So, I mean, I got to live my life. I got to do all these things. And if I get a little worried over that, then, I mean, that's okay. I mean, Jesus obviously is not meaning not to do that. But all the time, we ought to be inwardly free from all anxiety. Perhaps Jesus would say to us, whosoever strike you, on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We should then suppose him to mean the way I really love my enemy is to actually fight him back. Because after all, he needs to know the truth. So I should actually really fight him back and pay him back for what he's done. Because I can't let him run over me because that's not good for him either. Jesus might say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and we should interpret it thus. Of course, we should have to seek all sorts of other things first. How could we otherwise exist? What he really means is the final preparedness to stake all in the kingdom of God. And then he says, all along the line, we are trying to evade the obligation of single-minded, literal obedience. So those are just some examples he gives. But you see the point. I think all of us can understand and hear that rationalizing right, that he's talking about. Okay, we hear the self-justifying, the evading of the real command. And we're familiar with all of this, more than we'd like to admit. But we understand why this is. And the reason why is because there is an obedience in our lives, even as believers who want to be disciples, and yet it's not true obedience. In the end, it's actually disobedience. And so this was the rich young ruler. And so he had this thing in his heart that caused him to be unable to obey. He just simply couldn't obey Jesus at the end because of this other God that he was obeying instead. And so what was this other God? And this is where money comes into this story. But it was the thing that he could not live without. It says here he was disheartened by the saying and he went away. He couldn't live without it. And so what are the things in your life that you cannot live without? This is causing you to not really obey, even as you obey. It was also the thing that brings disproportionate sorrow and joy. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This was the God that caused him to not obey. The thing that you try to compensate with other things. It says here, the man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do? Teacher, I've kept all these things, these commands from my youth. I mean, he's trying to compensate for his other thing in his heart, which caused him to disobey. And then finally, it's the thing that makes you back away from God when he touches it. When Jesus finally brought it up, saying, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. When Jesus put his finger on it, he shirked back. He went away. And so these are the things that cause us to not obey, even as we obey. And this is what Bonhoeffer called 
the cheap grace of self-justification. Okay, all the while we're pretending like we're obeying, but in our hearts we really do not obey. And so, so this was the rich young ruler, and as sincere as he was, he had this obedience that was not obedience. He had, he had this outward obedience that he used to justify himself, all the while obeying the actual God in his heart, money. And Jesus saw it. It says in verse 21, Jesus was looking at him. And this is more than just physically looking, but this actually means Jesus was examining him. Maybe he was looking at him in his heart. He was looking within him. So Jesus knew him. He was looking at him. And then it says Jesus loved him. And Jesus looking at him loved him. And because Jesus loved him, he couldn't leave him in that kind of obedience, that false obedience. And so what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, knowing that this man could never be his disciple with this false obedience, you can't be my disciple with this kind of false obedience. So knowing that, he presented an opportunity for true obedience. And this brings us to our final point, the disciple's true obedience. So Jesus gave him this opportunity. So look at verses 21 through 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. So here Jesus fired his missile. It was not a missile of judgment, but a missile of love. He right at that idol. And these words were meant to free him completely from this idol of money and also this false obedience, this self-justifying false obedience. And it was supposed to free him so that for the first time, he could obey God's word truly from the heart. This was an act of love. Because Jesus knew, again, unless you are truly obeying me from the heart, then you cannot be my disciple. So because of that, it says Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And so in that moment, the man was confronted with truth. Here's the moment of truth. See, this is the issue for discipleship. It really isn't about money. That's what I said earlier. It's okay if you talked about money in your CG this past week. That was this man's particular idol. But it could be any idol, right? Anything could be replaced here. But the real issue is obeying God when it really counts. Do you obey God when it really counts? And Jesus was giving this man the opportunity to truly obey. And so it says here in verse 22... The man, after hearing that, he had this amazing opportunity for the first time to truly obey God. He thought he obeyed God since he was a youth, but here's the first chance he had. But unfortunately, it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And yet the opportunity was still there. And so you know what the real opportunity here is? Yes, Jesus wanted him to obey. But you know what it really is? It's not just obeying out of your own willpower. Okay, I'm just going to do what Jesus wants because even though I don't want it, I, I should. No, that's not the opportunity that Jesus gave. But here's the real opportunity he gave. The real opportunity is I want you to obey me, obey God from the heart for the first time ever perhaps in your life. How? By seeing me as your treasure. See, Jesus was offering himself as the treasure. Follow me, he said. You give away your physical treasure and offering, I'm offering myself as your greatest treasure. And as he saw that, and if he actually really did see that, then he would have obeyed. He would have obeyed. 
And so this is what Jesus was offering to this man, true obedience from the heart that flows not out of just like an obligation or some duty, right, I'm a Christian, I should do this, some act of the will, but what, what is this? What kind of obedience is this? It's an obedience that flows out of relationship with Jesus. Okay, this is what he was offering. This is why John, maybe John the Apostle was right there watching all this. He probably was. John the Apostle later wrote in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, true obedience from the heart flows out of a relationship with Jesus. It flows out of this awareness of knowing who Christ is and knowing what his love is. You actually know him because you see him and you've actually experienced his love. And because of that now, that relationship of knowing Christ and loving Christ, what happens? True obedience begins to flow out. This is what Jesus was offering this man. So true obedience comes from knowing Christ and his love. John the Apostle, he couldn't stop talking about this. He, he actually mentioned it again in one of his letters, 1 John 2, 3 through 5. And by this we know that we have come to know Christ if we keep his commandments. Did you hear that? How do you know if you know Jesus? You obey him because it flows out of a relationship with him. He goes on, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. You say you're a Christian, you know Jesus, but you don't obey him? You're a liar, the Bible says. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. But whoever keeps his word, whoever obeys him, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Do you see that? You have the love of God. You know who Jesus really is, so now you obey him. True obedience flows out of a relationship with him. And so this is the opportunity of a lifetime. This is what he was offering to this rich young ruler. For the first time, Jesus is saying, I love you, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to obey me for the first time from the heart. How? By being in a relationship with me. Follow me. Follow me. I'm going to offer myself as your greatest treasure, not the real treasure you think you have. I'm your real treasure. And yet he couldn't do it because he couldn't see Jesus. Right? He couldn't see him for who he is. So brothers and sisters, we're going to wrap this up, come to a close. But true discipleship is obedience to Jesus. How? Because you see him for who he is. You see him. You know him. You love him. You've experienced his love. And out of that, now you begin to obey. You know, I love this story. I actually had to clarify it with my wife right before service because I kind of forgot the details. But there is this amazing missionary. Her name is Helen Rosevere. She was a missionary to the Congo. I believe she was a medical doctor. But she served in the Congo for many years, and she actually experienced horrendous things there, things that I can't even speak of here on Sunday morning. But she experienced abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. All kinds of things were done to her as she was serving Christ in the Congo. And throughout her life, and even while she was there, she would ask this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And people even asked her that, is it worth it? And she would wonder is it worth it? And I think there was that one moment when she was in a car with some other missionaries, some people, and they were driving down this road and suddenly they saw these men and these would be the men who would take her captive and then abuse her in unimaginable ways. And reflecting back on that, she asked that question, is it worth it? Okay, what happened to me and all that? And this is what God spoke to her. I don't remember all the details exactly where she heard this, but God spoke this, this to her heart saying, don't say, is it worth it? Ask, am I worth it? Right? Is Jesus worth it? And from that change of the question, from is it worth it to is he worth it, obedience began to flow. 
See, it's always about a relationship with Jesus. Is he worth it, right? Not just is it worth it. Is it worth it being a disciple? Is it worth it going to church? Is it worth it? No, is he worth it? See, that's what this rich young ruler couldn't understand. Jesus is saying, I'm offering myself. Come follow me. He couldn't see that. But is he worth it? You know, let me close with one more story from the mission field, but I love how these testimonies are pouring out from the underground church in Iran. But here's another group of believers who are suffering unimaginable things. I mean, they are prepared. They are prepared to suffer. They're prepared to take up their cross, follow Christ, even to the very end. And so I watched this entire documentary on the underground church in Iran. It's the fastest growing church in the world, by the way. The fastest growing church, led primarily by 20-something-year-olds. Majority of them women as well, mighty women of God. And yet, this is what they say. But every time somebody comes to faith in the underground church in Iran, out of Islam, which places them under the mark of death, immediately what they do is, they don't just teach them a bunch of theology, but immediately they begin to show them what Jesus said in scripture, and right away from day one, you must obey this. You begin to live it out, act it out. And so this is what the early, uh, the young disciples, I should say, start. This is where they began. This isn't what they finally encounter 10 years later after walking with, no, this is what they begin with, is obedience to Jesus' word, right from the beginning. Okay, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, obey that. Jesus said, give to the poor what you have, obey that. Jesus said, forgive and love your enemy, obey that. Everything is obedience-focused. They know it's grace, they're not earning anything, they know that. They know the gospel, but it's obedience-focused. And then the testimony goes, this missionary who went there from America said, it is fire. The underground church is fire. He said he was like, he couldn't contain it. How much passion, devotion, the anointing of the spirit, it is fire, he said. Why? Simply because they take Jesus' word as his word. They don't just hear a sermon, oh, good sermon, Pastor Roy. Delete. No, no, no understanding, no conviction of obedience. No, these believers say, I will obey. Whatever I hear, whatever I read here, I will obey. Amen? Why can't that be here? Why, why can't it be the, ch- the church in America? So, brothers and sisters, let's just come before the Lord. But my prayer is that we will not be like the rich young ruler. We will not be like the one who cannot see what Jesus is offering which is himself. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be your disciples who obey. We want to obey. We want to obey, Lord, from the heart. So Lord God, please help us Please lead us into true obedience. Not this kind of generic, cheap grace, vague, I'm just going to kind of do Christian things and try to be a Christian, whatever that means to you in your own head. No. The specific things we read and hear in your word that right there, I'm going to do that. With God's grace, with God's help, I'm going to do that. I'm going to obey that. That conviction you got from God, 
when you did your quiet time, when you prayed, okay, God, that's hard, but I'm going to do that. I'm just going to obey. With your help, I'm just going to obey. Let's just come before the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I need your help too, Father, please. Please, Lord God, help me. Help all of us to obey. Okay, let's come before the Lord right now and let's just... I don't even want to tell you what to pray. You just come before your God and do business with him in your heart. You know those areas he has called you to obey and you have not obeyed. Maybe it was the last time you opened up your Bible. You read something, it convicted you a little bit, but then you just moved on. Maybe even today as we were looking at the story of the rich young ruler, there are some things that maybe, I don't know, you felt something little bit of a conviction maybe oh maybe God's telling me to but you have no real intention to obey let's just come before the Lord let's bring these things before him and let's ask him Lord help me do you see Jesus do you see his love for you let that motivate you to obey question, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Let that motivate you to obey. Let's come before